You're checking into Sex Club, Matt Tales After Hours. I'm Matt, your host and the creator of Matt Tales, 40 Years of Gay Adventures, the autobiographical erotica podcast. In Sex Club, I'll talk to guests about gay sex through the last 50 years, from cruising in phone lines to apps and cams. You'll hear tales from other guys and get to tell your own. Each episode will include a live moment, because you should never leave Sex Club until you get what you want. Yeah, the adrenaline was such a part of cruising and so part of going out in the world. I, you know, I used to fucking the Ramble in Central Park in New York a lot, a mm-hmm. lot. And no one would go home and post like, oh, hey, you guys, there's like a threesome going on behind the rock, behind the boat house cafe. Mm-hmm. You know, all the cruising that's recorded, it's like, look, I'm in, you know, I'm in a bathroom in an airport. Look at the dick. Look at the guy. Look at the it's like put the phone down and suck the dick like i i just like I know. enjoy yourselves boys have like, a moment like have you a know. moment you guys have a moment i had a college friend His name is pete and i remember sitting here with him in our school newspaper office and saying to him i think i'm bi and this is no offense to actual bi people, because I see you and I honor you and I join you in your, your anger toward people who don't take bisexuality seriously. But I was one of those gay people who leaned on bisexuality as the, you know, the breaking in the idea that what I really was was gay. Um, and so, but I said to my friend Pete, who was out and had a boyfriend and all these wonderful things, and you're younger than I am. And I said, I think I'm by. And he just looked at me, tilted his head and went, oh, Mary. And then he took me to um, took me to my first Pride March in New York City. And that was it. Wow. It was tambourines and poppers for the rest of my life, baby. <laughs> and, uh, and, do you, know, do you mean, remember that first Pride Parade? Do you remember like standing? Oh my God, I remember yeah. it like, like a, it was when like they a, started in the park, right? They started in Central like Park. When they started in the park. And uh, I remember we started the park and then you you would you would you know kind of gradually uh march across 59th Street and then you would turn onto Fifth Avenue and that was where the crowd started. There was yeah. no crowd on 59th Street or by the park. That's where yeah. just the procession and the and the marchers were. Yeah. And I remember I was marching with uh, with Pete, my friend Pete, and the uh, the local. Then it was just called the Gay and Lesbian Community Center, and we had a really you know silly, tacky, girly float that we built ourselves. And uh, and I remember turning and hearing and feeling this roar of applause, and burst into tears because I'd never experienced that kind of a, that kind of emotion around me before and then proceeded to march for five hours because it's a long march from 59th and 5th all the way down to Christopher and Hudson. And, and, you know, we marched and we sang and we danced and we cried and 
We flirted with everybody we could whenever we were waiting at a light to keep walking. And um, I was so exhausted. I just put my happy ass on a train and went home. So no one was around to teach me how to be a gay man. Yeah. I had to figure it out. Yeah. And every time I latched onto someone who I thought I could be, you know, kind of like a student of, um, he died. I lived through all of that. And I'm so grateful because it was the most unifying thing that ever happened. Yeah. Fighting death is a, is a great unifier. And not only among men, but among women, because if it weren't for women, the numbers of gay men who died would have been quadrupled. Yeah. The real heroes of, of the AIDS pandemic mm-hmm. were women, were lesbians who saved our lives. There was a certain kind of weird romance to it all, you know, lovers in a dangerous time. If, you know, when people say, well, how, why do you think you're gay? And I'm like, well, aside from genetics, um, I think I'm genetically predisposed to the primal hunt that only men experience. And I know that women have a big sexuality and I know that women have their aggressions and all these different things, but I don't know about it and I don't relate to it because I'm not a woman. Yeah. So I could only be empathetic to a degree, sympathetic to the to the maximum and then say that's your life and enjoy it but my life is is this you know i'm i'm attracted to men and the hunt and the primal aspect of it all and and there was a point where i stopped wanting to be ashamed of that it's an expression of your most true primal self it's a part of yourself that doesn't have a lot of forethought it's part of yourself that just acts the things that we did i don't think people do now because i feel like everyone's just a little too sophisticated you know there's there's a certain kind of weird i don't want to say innocence maybe it's naivete you know, to like, and again, it was because we didn't have the same vetting, right? You know, there's a yes. whole lot of vetting on apps and stuff Yes. that you don't have when you're like, it's Saturday night, it's 3.30 in New York, 3.30 a.m. in New York. You really wanted to hook up. And there's that one guy who you actually thought no twice in the hours of midnight, one and two. And you're thinking, he's looking better now, maybe because I've had a few thoughts, or maybe because there's no one else around, maybe because I don't feel like masturbating tonight, I don't know. And then the next thing you know, you know, I have one of those experiences, you just kind of go along with it. And the next thing you know, you're walking into someone's house, and, you know, you don't know who this person is. They could, right. they could you know, That's anything right. could happen. That's right. And a couple times with me, you know, and, you know, there have been times when I did that and I would have to remind myself almost like by looking over myself yeah. and say, you're bigger than he is. Yes. Throw him against the wall and get out. Right. Right. <laughs> Which I've done. <laughs> <What'd you> do? <laughs> <laughs> I remember and, one night but, I was so horny at 3 a.m. that I put my shorts and t-shirt on or 2 a.m., 2, 3 a.m. I put my shorts and t-shirt on and I walked through the ramble at two or three o'clock in the morning oh my god in the total pitch dark 
with a heart on walking the entire time with a heart on through the park and in the dark, feeling my way through going up into the ramble and just sitting on a rock and thinking, I wonder if anyone else is going to be here or not terrified and turned on. And did you get, did you get lucky? Yes. (laughs) Well, I can match that one because (laughs) back in New York, back in New York, before they gentrified the piers downtown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was prime cruising and from the from, not from the main one. The main one was like where all the drag queens hung out. But yes. the uh, but from the second all the way up to the warehouse, where there used to be a warehouse, you could just walk up and down, and there'd be cars. And there was one night where I was just like, wasn't getting lucky in the bars. None of my friends were around. You know, I had two phone numbers that I carried for as just in case hookup numbers. Neither of those guys were home. And so, and it was starting to rain and I paced up and down those piers at three in the morning in the rain. Yeah. Hoping a car would drive up. Yep. Yep. And. Oh, of course the car always drives up. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and after I, you know, got what I wanted, I had him drop me off at the train station. So it was fun. You had a dress for going out, you know, yes. kind of like, You know, I always had a game plan on Saturdays. Yeah. You know, like, where would I start the evening? Right. You know, and then I would, you know, because I would, I would, I was a bar crawler. And so, you know, I would like map out which bars I was going to go to, which ones I would move. No, because it's just not my vibe tonight. And then decide like, okay, what time am I cutting bait? And I always pushed it. And then it was like, okay, <laughs> is the last bar going to be by a bookstore just in case? Just in case. And do I have a fresh bottle of poppers in my pocket? Just in case, you know. <laughs> do I have, you know, like you would, you would, you know, you would fill your pockets, but you wouldn't want them to look too puffy because then you look ridiculous. But you're like, okay, so I've got poppers in this pocket. And but no lube because if it if it squirts <laughs> no, but you put the lube and the rubbers in this pocket, and then you have like your quarter for the phone because back then we had pay phones, yep. and then you have an extra you have two extra tokens in the other pocket in case someone robbed you, and then you, <laughs> you know and you know it would you would you would yeah you know, and then you would make sure that you know you had one friend that you would say okay. I'm going to the Barbary Coast. You're probably too young to remember the Barbary Coast. I'm going to the Barbary Coast. And then you get the call, you get on the other end, they'd be like, girl, you're not that desperate. I was like, shut up. Goodbye. Because <laughs> <laughs> Barbary Coast was like the troll bar that was right next to the two train going home to the Bronx. Wow. And that was where really it was just, that's where like it was really sketchy. But, you know, you go there because, well, you know, it's really late. Yep. And, you know, there used to be a bookstore right next door. So, you know, you kind of had the option. Yep. And then you just get on the true train, which was busy. Um, you know, you had to really have, you had to have a game plan. Always tip your bartenders and your barbacks mm. because they'll, if you tip them, they'll remember you. Yeah. And they'll look after you. Right. So, you know, so. In my regular cruising bars, after a night of drinking, and like if I was going to station myself in one joint for for most of the night, I would tip, 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 tip. Never get so drunk if I was planning to hook up 
And then I would say, okay, before I got here, I walked in, he was here. What was his deal? And they would tell me. What is the thing you miss the most about those days? I miss that. I miss the mystery of what was going to lie ahead. Yeah. I, because in those days, right, you would, you could go home empty handed as it were, yeah. but it was all a, it was all a hunt. It was very predatory, intentionally so, but it was also sometimes the way you saw, you made friends who were also on the prowl, and you would kind of, you you know, I had my you know my I called them my day gaze and my night gaze. You know, my my day boys were the ones who had jobs, and I only talked to them and you know for lunch. Then my night boys were the really fun ones because they were the ones I would see, you know, walking down Christopher Street in New York City or in Ty's bar or, you know, depending on what, you know, and it would be like, and then you would actually be more intimate with them. You would talk more about real life with them because you were drinking, maybe a little less inhibited, but also you were looking for the same thing and you'd be like, okay, so who do I stay away from? It was all a game of like scoping out and trying to figure out like who, where should you, where are you landing? The question wasn't, what are you into? The question is, what's your mood tonight? Mm. And sometimes you wouldn't even know. And, you know, there are, there's that kind of, that kind of excitement of, of you're kind of hooking up with somebody and you're not really completely sure of what you're going to do yeah. until you're doing it. Because it's really down to either one of the person, one of the two has come with a very clear agenda of what he's looking for, or it's the chemistry more times than not of what's happening based on like whose hands are or landing where. Yeah. And that's way more exciting than than you know what my one of my very good friends calls ordering in, right? Um, it all started with AOL in the chat rooms and we would joke, you know, where's Wayne tonight? Oh, he's ordering in, meaning he's on, he's in the chat rooms and he's looking to, you know, get someone to come over. Um, And I always was fascinated by the whole ordering in thing, but it never really worked for me because I just like going out. Me too. And, you know, I didn't want people in my house, you know, the how my house is where I went to kind of like regroup or relive in my mind or, yeah. You know, lock the door and go, whew, safe now. You know, it was sanctuary. It wasn't like you ain't coming in my house, bitch. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so when people say that they're really, you know, that they, but they want to hear the stories, what they really want to hear is about the, the lack of clinical interaction. Sure. Because that's really a big part of your stories, right? Some of them are about, you know, prearranged or preconceived ideas of what's going to happen between you and whomever the story is about. Yeah. But sometimes it's just like, oh, well, I didn't know we were going there. Or you don't say that, but the story basically indicates that um, something started to happen. And just the even way you tell the story tells the story in a way that offers a bit of surprise. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, it's funny because for some people, it's a bedtime story. Sometimes for me, it's like the Sunday brunch story. <laughs> <laughs> because back in my day, we would all get together on Sunday. Yeah. 
and we would have, you know, we'd have, you know, mimosas or Bloody Marys and order fancy egg dishes and talk about what we did the night before. That's amazing. And, you know, and sometimes the stories would be very, you know, very kind of sprite, you know, sprightly. And sometimes they'd be really, yeah, um, really down and dirty, you know? Um, So for me, I listen to them and I think about, I think about, when some of my night night gays moved into the mainstream of my life and then we would start to have brunch and talk about like yeah that's amazing i've never heard that i've never i've never heard it put like that before you're absolutely right though i mean i it makes complete sense yeah because you're sitting there and it's like who's hung over who won't take their sunglasses off right because they're just waiting (laughs) you know who didn't who just didn't even bother they decided to or you know who um I was always, I was not always, I was very often the guy. As soon as uh, bear play parties became a thing in New York City, and for a while they were a big afternoon thing. Yeah. Oh my God, it was the most time economical thing ever. Because you get up, right? You go to the gym, you have a nice shower, you clean really thoroughly. Yeah. You know, you put some, you, 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 pick out a nice pair of underpants that you're going to wear. You strip out, you go to this, the, the play party for two or three hours. You're out of there by four o'clock. You go home, you order a Chinese, you watch some golden girls, you go to sleep. It's, <laughs> it's the best Saturday ever. And then you get up Evan. and you're fresh Sunday morning. Yep. And they're like, well, why are you looking so fresh? Oh, I just went to Brewing Buddies last night. And they're like, oh, okay. How many, <laughs> you know, I say, oh, two or three. <laughs> <laughs> It was a light day. It was a light day. It was a light day. I was only peckish. I wasn't starving. Uh, <laughs> it's so civilized, though, right? It's like there's yeah. a civil, there's a civilized way to do it and still have it be exciting, right? Right. As bars started to fall out of out of favor and they stopped being less reliable and they started being more seedy and sketchy. You know, or maybe you just got older. For me, it was I was getting older and I was just like, ugh, that's a lot of time. My feet hurt. I don't want to spend 50, I don't want to spend 30 bucks on drinks, <laughs> you know, not when it costs me $15 to get into that party. And if I'm real, if I flirt with Paul at the door, I'll get in for 10, you know, <laughs> and, and um, which, you know, which I would do. Of course, you and, uh, you know. And then, you know, it, it was, you were guaranteed, you weren't guaranteed, but the likelihood is that you would find at least one person to hang out with and have some yeah. fun with. And then actually, then you would have, you had to, you had, it was a different kind of gay culture and a different type of gay community, because then I'll never forget the first time I started running into friends of mine whom I never seen naked there hmm. and be like, oh my God, then he's got a big dick. And I never thought you were attractive, but holy smokes, I think I need to look at you differently. And of course, nothing ever happened. But then you would play a little bit and then you'd rendezvous around, you know, the candy bar because, you know, it's bears. So they want candy. And you stand there and be like, okay, he's good. He's edging. He can't get hard. I don't know what he's wearing, but it smells funny. And then you would just, (laughs) and it's okay, everyone. My friend Wayne would be like, everyone back into the pool. And we would just (laughs) go back in.
the address written on a piece of paper in my pocket, and I take it out and look up. I ring the buzzer for Gay Cable Network, and the door opens. I go up the elevator, and I can hear the thumping beat of music before I reach the floor. I walk into the hallway where there's a desk with a cash box and a table for bagging and tagging your checked clothing. I look around to see men in jockstraps and leather and feel embarrassed to be in my white briefs and sneakers. It's my first sex party and it took days of building the guts to come here. I'm just out in my late 20s and New York is still a city of parties, backrooms, and theaters. I don't look anyone in the eye as I walk past a row of men sitting on a long bench next to the check-in. They're tall, older, hairy, and in black caps and harnesses. Some of them wear the faces of survival, thin with divots of missing fat. I recognize David, my travel agent, and I look away before he sees me. I walk through a doorway into a big room, used for shooting cable access shows and porn during the day, converted to vinyl tables, leather slings, and play areas every Friday through Sunday. There is the smell of poppers and lube, the boom of music overhead and red lights glowing down from corner to corner. I walk around slowly, watching bodies on bodies and hearing the moans of a man being fisted in a sling. I stop to watch, then move on to the next scene. I've been spotted by some of the men and they troll me like cats, gliding from side to side of the path behind me. I stop and one of them comes to me, sliding his hands up and down my body, then another joins from behind and they press me between them, feeling between my legs. One goes down on my cock while the other slides down and eats my ass and I reach out to a table to balance myself. Across the table is a young guy my age, bent forward, arms sprawled ahead, getting fucked by a line of guys behind him. He looks up at me and tries to smile between thrusts, then reaches out his hands to me as I face him from the other side. I lean forward and take his hands in mine, and the two men still down on me stand and push me forward onto the table. I'm now face to face with the boy, and our hands are locked. One of the men enters me from behind, and as I gasp, the boy leans forward and kisses me. We move our arms up around each other's shoulders and hold each other tight as the men fuck each of us. A line forms behind me and I feel men pulling out and going into me one after the other as they do to him. We kiss deeply and hold on to each other, breathing and moaning into each other's mouths. We stay locked together for a while, as if somehow it's just the two of us. I will never forget his face. If you ever went to the gay cable network parties in Chelsea? Oh my god, they were fantastic. They were <laughs> right. That was my first sex party ever. I didn't know what a sex party was. And the first one I went to, I was like shaking. I was so nervous. You know, the elevator doors would open, you know, and there'd be like the clothes check guy there. They would be like, and I was so I thought the whole world was watching, you know, because like you're young and you don't know. And so like you just think that everyone's gonna know what you're doing. Wasn't that whole part relating? Uh of course, yes, it was thrilling. Don't didn't you just think I'm about to be the biggest pig ever, ever. And it was somewhere between a boner and wanting to shit my pants. And so that feeling is like was the most exciting feeling ever. And those elevator doors would open at that fucking gay cable. And I can still smell it. Can you still I can still smell oh my God. what totally. that party smells like. There was also the party run by the two husbands where you had to, and this was my, my favorite party only because of the way you had to get in. Yeah. Um, it was in this really dirty, sleazy spot, but the only way you could get in would be to have, um, would be to take your dick out. You had to say, they would say, do you know where you are? And you would say, yes. And they would say, prove it. Wow. And you had to cool. expose yourself. And I just thought, oh my God, I was like, 
this is the ultimate what's the password <laughs> and uh it's amazing <laughs> and just the whole experience of it was you know it wasn't even the best party to be honest with you yeah. but i kept going because i just like going i like the process of getting in and then i would leave pretty soon after because it really wasn't a good party but yeah you know i mean it's a it was a it was a cool culture um and you know and again it was very kind of bear 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 daddy kind of which which has a different kind of code of honor and code of ethics than other parties do um and i was gonna say earlier you know when someone calls you daddy it is a compliment because if they don't think you're hot and they just think you're old they call you grandpa Okay, I wasn't gonna say hello to you anyway. You just keep you walking. Brat. <laughs> but if someone goes, if someone goes, what? If someone goes, what's up, Daddy? You're like, oh, yeah. okay, how you doing? <laughs> that that's when suddenly it's like, what's up, boy? It comes really, out. It's <laughs> really, comes out like it comes out without even thinking. You either go, what's up, boy? Howdy, son. <laughs> yeah, yeah that voice does come out sometimes, doesn't it? That voice it just is. Comes, it's you know, it just comes out. I, it's hot. It's the. It's the five five zero voice we used to call it. <laughs> the five five zero dungeon. Let's go down. Do you remember the dungeon commercials? Oh, oh I certainly do. I remember yeah. five five zero commercials. I spent yeah. a lot of time on the phone on those phone lines. They were fun. They were really really fun. They yeah, were some fun. of them. So, yeah, some of the Mattels are are from guys off the phone line for sure. And that there's a lot more stories to tell from the phone line. I loved the phone line. I love that. Like pushing three and like listening and like connecting and reconnecting. There were a few different versions of the phone. Some were more complicated than others. I no, it, was so but, excited to be on those phone lines. But the best was the dungeon, which was the, which was the one that goes, let's go down. Yep. They would occasionally <laughs> have glitches where you would accidentally merge with someone else's call oh, wow. and you could listen to them travel the line it would happen every once in a while and actually i did once in all the many jobs i've had and i've had many jobs um when i was in college um i i i auditioned to be a phone sex monitor wow and i'll tell you what back then it was great because you would go into this room it was for for the manhole which i think is still on and you would sit there and you would your job was to make sure that anyone who either sounded like they were underage yeah. got nuked or anyone who would talk about uh, kitty stuff okay. got nuked okay. or, you know, or if someone kind of like wanted someone booted because they were getting abused, you'd be there to get rid of them. Got it. Otherwise you just sat there and listened. Wow. And I, I, yeah, I did a, I did a, I know I didn't get it. I really wanted it. So it is crazy what we'll go through for long periods of time to get that tablespoon of shit out of our balls, though, right? Like, it's like, true, isn't it? It's only like, a tablespoon. It's only right, care. and it get it gets into every our entire being. It changes it how we speak and talk, everything. everything, and then it's all, and it can last for hours or days or whatever, and then it's like, and then you're like, oh. Yeah, that wasn't gallons after all. And now, <laughs> now I'm hungry. I'm hungry. What day is it? Who are you? And I'm one of, Who are you? And, and, and now, and I'm one, and exactly, see, and I'm one of those guys. I'm a very one and done kind of guy. So, like, once I'm done, I'm like, oh my God, this place is filthy. Get me out of here. 
Did I sit on that? Oh my God, I gotta go disinfect my butt. You know, you just kind of like, <laughs> and just 20 minutes ago, you're rolling around on the floor, right? On your back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's so funny, right? And all the all the drama and politics and all that goes around that tablespoon it's, of shit. Like it's just we are it just is, like it's such like, caricatures. And aren't we like sometimes it's just a teaspoon, baby, on a long day. Honestly, it is a <laughs> the older I you get, know, the less like, there is. You promised me you promised me eight inches and in a gallon, you gave me four inches and in a teaspoon. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. But thank you for coming. Oh, sure. Literally, literally uh, thank you, you for know. coming. Yeah, and you know, and uh, same time next week, you know. <laughs> what um, just, what turn what turns you on these days, Larry? Like, what get like? How is it? I don't say you don't have to tell me how it's changed, but like, just what turns you on? Now? Oh, it has changed. It has changed. It's much more. Um, it, it's. I mean, in some ways, it hasn't because I'm still obsessed with the hunt. Okay. Um, you know, when you're. You know, like I said, I'm a very compartmentalized guy, right? So I have a great husband, and we just recently had our 19th anniversary, and he wow. is the only man I want to be with. The only man I want to be with. Amazing! Congratulations, and he's gorgeous. Thank you. As are thank you. you. If you thank you, but but he's the only person I want to see more than once or twice. Yeah. You know, my mission in life is to see every snowflake falling from the sky. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you want yeah. to, cause again, it's the power exchange, right? That's right? Sometimes you want to surrender that power and see what it feels like. That's right. And yeah. sometimes you want to have all of the power. That's right. And That's own right. the situation and set the tone and you decide when it's over. That's, That's right. really, it's really addictive. It's really objective. It. it is the thrill. It is the thrill of thrills. And yet it's a yeah. very good point that you make though, because uh, you can't actually power exchange unless you've done, unless you've experienced both sides, you actually cannot, you cannot profess to be good. No, be, because yeah, because every guy I've ever met who was like a strict top, yeah, you know, I've only ever topped. I'm like, all right, well, then you have to, we have to make a deal. When I say slow, you slow. Otherwise, the candy store is closing. You ain't getting nothing. <laughs> That's right. And for me, I'm like, hey, um, I said I wanted a top, not an asshole. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like being a top means yeah. power and exchanging doesn't mean you're being a dick. Like I, I just because you're using it doesn't mean you have to be one. It, it's a there's such a confusion now about what those roles are. I'm that I'm that guy who will say, yeah, I told you I wanted it this way and you didn't yeah. play right. So I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, you're not. I'm like, okay, watch. (laughs) In three, two, one, bye. (laughs) All you had to do was slow down, baby. It's really funny. It's true. You would have gotten gotten to that jackhammer point if you just let me get used to it. Exactly. If if you let me participate, which is. Yeah, the thing is, I like to I love a good jackhammering, but you have to let me kind of get used to it first. You know, there's a person (laughs) under you. When I entered a bear contest in my 30s, when I just said, to hell with this, dude. I'm a tall, big, fat bear guy, and it ain't going to change. 
And somehow, despite the fact that I don't always feel my most attractive, I have always had attractive men in my life. So get with it or keep it stepping. And that's when suddenly the clothes came off, they came flying off, yeah. and the expression of sexuality became freer. And, and that's when you get your sexiest. That's, uh, that's yes, you yes. And then your... suddenly, you know, I did an experiment for a magazine article with a reporter and I, and um, an old magazine called Genre doesn't exist anymore. I know it. And we wanted to talk about one, we did an article about uh, posture and how physical posture um, affects the way people receive you. So I went into a clothing store in Chelsea, the gay, the gay strip in New York City. And it's really like the muscle Twinkie strip of New York City. At the hot height of summer in a pair of jeans and a white beater t-shirt. And I went in and I went in as me, as Larry, who is, you know, who likes myself, but is shy and a little self-conscious and hates my stomach and all of these things. And I walked in and the guy behind the counter treated me like shit. Didn't even look at me. Mm didn't even look at me. How do I know that? Because an hour and a half later, I walked into the same clothing store wearing the same thing. And I walked in as Mr. New York City Bear. Mm -hmm. And as Luke Ryder, my alter ego from when I did bear porn. Wow. And I walked in and I was like, yeah. And that motherfucker, that motherfucker hit on me. Damn. And and showed me little little slingy jock straps and one asked if I wanted help putting it on. And I looked at him and I said, No, because when I was here an hour and a half ago, wow. you didn't even look me in the eye. But thank you for proving my point. It's how I carry myself. <laughs> you know, yeah, when you stop giving a fuck yeah. is when the world kind of sits up and takes notice. It was actually during a, a World AIDS Day special I was doing, and I had Larry Kramer on. Wonderful man. Um, I really, 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 really liked him a lot. I was lucky to get to know him a bit. Um, and he was on the show, and, and we were talking about what we liked about being gay and about those early days of AIDS. And I said, you know, it was, it was, you know, to be part of the gay community during those years was very powerful. And he goes, I'm going to stop you right now and tell you that I reject the word community because communities are pipe picking sales. They're county fairs. They're small groups. I belong to the gay population. I own the bigness of me. And I demand that people in my life own the bigness of themselves. We are a population of men and women. And if you can't own that, then there's no reason for us to continue talking. Wow. And, I, and I'm saying that verbatim because I memorized, I actually listened back to the tape and memorized it because it was the most powerful thing anyone has ever said to me. You're checking out of Sex Club, Matt Tells After Hours. 
throw your towel into the basket, and please come back for more hot guests and gay sex. Please leave a rating or review. Hit me up if you want to tell your story or submit your audio. Go to matttells.com and follow Matt Tells and Sex Club on Instagram or Facebook at Matt Tells Gay Adventures. You can always message the fuck out of me at matttellspod at gmail.com. Hey, it's Larry Flick, and I am a music curator for the Vero True Social Media app. You can follow my playlist on Spotify and Apple called Hashtag New Music Moves. Um, I've been in the business for nearly 38 years. I was an editor at Billboard for 14 and a broadcaster at Sirius XM Radio for 18. I've worked for Kiss and Prince and all kinds of people. Plus, I've had a very sordid career as a bear model. Hey, this is Matt, your host. A special shout out to a good friend in Southern California for providing us with those beautiful sounds of fucking and sucking, also provided by your host. And check out my fetish page on Twitter at Watches Muscle. Um, but yeah, when I reached out to you, I was reaching out to you anonymously because I thought, well, nobody, you know, nobody knows who I am in this world. This guy's <laughs> doing this other. This guy lives in, in a world, you know, like a world that I used to live and work in because I did do, you know, bear, bear modeling and all that stuff. But I haven't done that for almost 20 years. That would be really great because, you know, then we could talk about, you yeah. know, the work that you're doing and the fact that you really are. I was just telling you know, a colleague a few minutes ago that you're a very, very talented broadcaster. It's not just because lots of people, you know this. Lots of people are trying to do what you're doing. And most of them are terrible. They're unlistenable. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, you've cracked the code. 